God bless your people, Lord. God, your word is so powerful, so mighty, God. We've all tasted it, Lord God, and it has transformed us, God. It has changed us, Lord. Oh, God, it has brought us conviction, God. It has brought us comfort in times when we needed it, Lord. Oh, God, reading your word, it brings us joy, God, hearing your voice, God, seeing who you are, Lord, God, growing in the knowledge of who you are. God, that's why we study the scriptures, God. We just want to know you more, God. We just want to be with you, Lord, God. We want to hear your voice, Lord. So, God, on today, Lord, speak loud, God. That we see your glory, God. That we see your mighty wisdom, Lord. Your wisdom, which goes way beyond our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways, God. So God bless your children, Lord, by speaking, God. Showing us your glory, that we may be more in all of you, Lord. Mighty God you are, mighty to save, mighty Lord. That's our prayer, Lord, that we hear you speak, God. Speak your, your word, God. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, today we'll continue in our study of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. I pray that, I pray that God has um, got everything on there. Uh, has blessed your heart and this word from last week, chapter 2. I pray that God does a work through you in it. Showing you that, yes, even though I've been in the belly of the well, I see that it was God's grace and mercy towards me. And I pray that when God brings you out, because we all will go through different trials, that your response is just like Jonah, just like the mariners on the ship, where they worship and praise God. They make vows to God. They offer sacrifice because they have encountered the mercy and grace of God. And so today we'll continue in our study of Jonah 3. Um, I feel kind of... Uh, I don't know. I just... It's been crazy... I don't know what's going on with my body right now. Um, and I had, I really wanted to dig into this text, but much didn't come out as I anticipated. So, but I trust that God will use whatever goes forth. All right, let's get into the word of God. Jonah chapter three. We're going to read it all. And the title, Brother Fernando, would be The Foundations of Evangelism. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I just want to make a, a comment there. I was listening to a, a commentator on this text and he makes a great observation is that 
When the word of God comes to Jonah a second time, the scripture says, so Jonah arose. But in the first time it came to him, there was a but. It was a but. Jonah went and, and uh, he fled to uh, Tarshish. And so he made the observation that when God gives you a commandment, it's either going to be a so or a but. But I'm going to do something else or so I'm going to go forward. And so we see that Jonah here, he arose up and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days walk. Think Texas. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Everybody's fasting. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth and let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Man, the word of God. As born again believers in Jesus Christ, I believe we all have the desire to want to see our family members and loved ones saved. We want to see our coworkers saved. We want to see um, our employees saved. We have this desire to see people come to faith in, in Jesus. We all have this desire. We have this passion inside of us. And while many of us have this desire to want to see people saved, to want to see people saved from the flames, we don't always act on this desire. Meaning we don't always share the truth of the gospel, even though inside we, we want to see people saved. We want to see people worshiping and praising God with us. Even though we have this desire, we don't act on that desire. And one of the biggest reasons why we are many Christians don't act on that desire is often because we feel insecure. We feel like I don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have all of the right arguments. I don't have the right rebuttals. I'm not as articulate as so-and-so are. I'm not as eloquent as such-and-such. And so we give ourselves these excuses on why we can't share the gospel, even when we know the gospel. Oh, in today's text, I think this study of Jonah 3 will encourage us to open our mouths because what we will learn from Jonah and this encounter with the Ninevites is that it doesn't matter of your eloquence of speech. 
It doesn't matter how articulate you are. It doesn't matter how big your vocabulary is. You don't need a lengthy sermon. We see that from Jonah. What we will see is that the most important thing in our evangelism is that we communicate the word of God, that we give the oracles of God. And guess what? The rest is up to God by his spirit. That's it. That means that that takes the pressure off of us. See, Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 that guess what? We plant, right? We water, we may plant the seed of the gospel. Somebody else has already planted the seed, so we come through and we water. But guess what? God will cause the growth, guess what? When he wants at God's appointed time. It's not up to us. It's not us to us. It's not, we don't have the power to bring change. We don't have the power to make a person believe the gospel. Our job is to communicate the message, to tell of the, the news. So this is where we come here in Jonah chapter three. This is what we come to learn. So here in Jonah chapter three, we seen that Jonah, remember, he ran from the Lord. He was thrown overboard by God's grace. He had a fish come and suck him up. He's in the belly of this fish by God's grace. Jonah repents, praises God for his deliverance, his salvation, saving him from drowning. Because of that, because of his repentance, because of his vow to serve the Lord, we see that Jonah, the Lord allows the fish to go and vomit Jonah up on dry land. And now you have Jonah part two. You have a brand new born again, if you will, Jonah. And so that's where we come in chapter three. We come with Jonah having been vomited up by the fish. Now, going to carry out the mission that God has given him. So shortly after Jonah is vomited up by the fish, we don't know how long it is. I'm hoping that it was enough time that he had a chance to go and take a shower and change his clothes and get that vomit smell off of him. We don't know the time, but we know in the text that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, the scripture says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which is a reason for rejoicing. Because as we all know, we've all received commandments, the commissions of God. We've also, we've all been told things from the Lord, what we should do, and we haven't always been faithful to that call, but yet God still uses us, which shows you that we serve a God of as people say, of a second chance and another chance. We see that God is faithful. Even though Jonah leaves disobedient, not following the way of the Lord, God still gives Jonah the commission. His grace and mercy towards Jonah is still there. He's still going to use Jonah. So he gives Jonah a second chance. And thank God that we get this second chance. And when Jonah gets this second chance, the word of the Lord The text says in verse three that Jonah rose up to go. He didn't flee, as we mentioned earlier when we were reading the text. He didn't go and do the old Jonah. He rose up to go and walk in obedience to the Lord. I like to imagine that when Jonah was in the belly of the fish, remember in chapter two, at the end of that prayer, remember he made this vow to the Lord. I like to believe that maybe that vow was, God, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go and carry out what you have called me to do. And so we see Jonah here getting the commission from the Lord. 
Now, no longer walking in his flesh, no longer walking according to his own ways. He takes the commission and he runs with it. So now Jonah is walking lock, step and bear off. They would say in the Lord's will. Now Jonah is walking according to his calling, which is a prophet. Now he's doing what prophets are supposed to do, which is to go and carry the message. See, a prophet, which Jonah was called to be, a prophet during this period, they were God's mouthpiece. You got to understand that they were they were God's mouthpiece. It was the mission of the prophet to proclaim which whatever message that God had given to a particular group of people. And so we find in chapter two or three, verse two, that God tells Jonah, you go and proclaim what I am going to tell you is not what Jonah wants to go and say. It's not how Jonah feels, but the commission of the prophet, the commission of God for Jonah is to go and say exactly what God says to do. And that is what the prophets would do. That is what God, how God would use the prophets in the Old Testament. He would often send them to Israel and individuals when they would fall into sin. And the prophet would go and he would tell them of their sin and hopefully to the point that they would repent. We see that happening with David and Bathsheba. Do you remember when David fell into sin with Bathsheba? Who did God call to be his mouthpiece? He called the prophet Nathan, right? He called the prophet Nathan to tell David of his sin, to bring that conviction. And he would also send prophets, not just individuals, but he would also send them to the nation as a whole. But the point that I want you to understand, particularly in your evangelism, or the thing that we can glean from Jonah is that Jonah, as a prophet, his mission was to proclaim whatever God says, the word of God, which means in our evangelism, it is not enough for us just to go and claim or say what we want to say. We have to be like the prophets and speak the words of God, not our word, not how we see things, not any cliche saying, but we go and we speak the word of God, just like the prophets. Brothers and sisters, I, please understand this. Never believe that you can talk someone into the kingdom of God by your great articulation or your ability to relate or your ability to communicate. Well, never believe that you can use your life experience and think that that is going to be sufficient and enough to bring a person into the kingdom of God. It is not our words that brings a person to the kingdom of God. It is not our words that can convict the heart. It is only the word of God. That is why Jonah goes forth and he speaks God's words. And so when we go forward carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, we act like the prophets. We speak only what God says to speak. We speak only the truth and oracles of God's word because God's word is the only thing that could change and breaks hearts. The Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of that. In Hebrews 4.12, where he says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, it is God's word that cuts to the heart. It's God's word that has the power. And because it's God's word that has the power, when we present his word, we don't water it down. We don't change it around to make it more palatable. We don't change it to make it more cool. We present the word of God 
as the word of God, even if the world sees it as strange and doesn't believe it. May I remind you of what the prophet says in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53, did anybody, are we familiar with that? I'm sure we're all familiar with Isaiah 53. That's, that's the prophecy about Jesus. It, it speaks of Jesus' incarnation hundreds of years before Jesus would come. It, it talks about how Jesus is going to be treated. It speaks about Jesus' atoning death. But up until that chapter, Isaiah the prophet spent most of his time telling the people about this coming savior who was going to be this servant king who would destroy Israel's uh, enemies and who would establish God's kingdom on earth. He would bring Israel back into their land. And so up until this chapter, he's constantly telling the, the Israelites that God is going to bring this servant king. God is going to bring this servant king. He's going to go and set the captives free. He's going to go and bring you back into your homeland. And we find ourselves in Isaiah 53 where he starts off the first verse by saying, who has believed our message? Meaning that the word of God is going to sound unbelievable to folks sometimes. It's going to sound, no, this can't be good. Or no, this is foolishness. This is crazy. So the prophet Isaiah starts off Isaiah 53 by saying, who has believed our message? This, this message of this coming king. Why? Because people thought that the word was too powerful. It was, it was, it was too beyond their understanding and it was something that the world wouldn't receive. So we said, who would believe our message? See, the message that we present is not always a word that people would just take in and receive. It's, it's not always a word that the, that the world would like to receive. It's not always a, a word that, um, the world would see as truth and light. And we see that even from Jonah's message here in in Jonah chapter 3. Because when Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh, look at the message that Jonah is called to speak. He doesn't speak a word that you would think that would save souls. He says something very simple. Jonah says this in Jonah chapter 3. This is what the word of the Lord told him. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That is the word. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the good news. That is the message that God has saved Jonah from the belly of the wish. It was that message that caused God to cause the storm to come in the sea. It was that message that caused the ship to go um, almost under water. It was that message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. See, when we use our human wisdom, we say, no, God, that's not how you're going to get people saved. That's not how you're going to get people repenting, God. You can't just go and tell them that 40 days and 40 nights, um, um, then God is going to go and destroy this nation. That is, that is not how you do it, God. You just can't walk into a foreign nation with people like this, this violent people. You can't just go in there and tell them that if they don't, um, that God's destruction is going to come in 40 days. That, that's not how you do it, God. You, you, you need something else. See, that's not how we would do it if we want to save people. We, we, would, we wouldn't just walk in and tell them that God's judgment is coming. That's, that's not how our human psyche works. Our human psyche says, maybe, maybe we need, as some preachers would also make this observation, maybe we need a really great speaker and, and have them articulate the word. Or, or maybe we need a great band and, and have them articulate this message. Or, or maybe we need somebody who's a great orator and have them articulate the message. But that's not what God does. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He has Jonah go in with this obscure message of just telling people that judgment is coming. 
That's not how we would do it. We would say, God, you, that's not how you do it. You can't go and use a disobedient, merciless prophet, God, and, and a one-sentence sermon and expect that people are going to repent and turn from their sin. This is a violent nation, God. You're going to need more than that. But so that we will see that the power is not in man, that the power is not in man creativity, we see that God does it. God brings change through a one word sermon. He brings change through a disobedient prophet with mercy issues so that we will see that the power again is not in us. It is not in our ability to articulate something. It is not in our creativity. It is not in how nice we said, but the power is in the word of God. It's whatever he says. It's whatever he says. That's the word that go forwards. And so Jonah preaches this obscure little one-sentence sermon, short. And the text says, the people, from the least to the greatest of them, they believe it. The word says that they, the people of Nineveh, they believe God to the point that the king makes a proclamation. He makes a proclamation. He takes off his royalty. He takes off his glory and puts on his sackcloth and bends his knees to the true and living God, hoping that that God repent. How through a one word, small little sermon that judgment is coming. It's not how we would do it. And the Ninevites are so serious about this repentance that they even make the animals repent. They, they put sackcloth and ashes on the animals and, and they don't even get to eat. Why? Because they want, they don't want judgment. They don't want destruction. See, this, this is a big deal. I mean, you, you gotta understand this. Like most commentators will say, this is a bigger miracle than Jonah being saved in the belly of the well that this evil and wicked people would re- repent and turn from their sins by a one word sermon given by the message of God's prophet. See, it is a big miraculous thing when we turn from our evil ways, turn from walking in unrighteousness to, to righteousness. See, you and I, we are all walking miracles. You got to understand that, that that is God making you alive. You were once dead and now you are alive, not by your doing, but by the work of God. See, what Jonah is doing It's really a miraculous thing. Just try to put yourself in the place of Jonah. You are going to a city, a city that does not recognize your God. You're walking to a city that does not recognize your God. And you're going into this city and telling this city that you are going to be overthrown. And the people believe it. That is a miraculous thing. See, the Assyrians, guess what? They had no history with the true and living God. The true and living God never parted the Red Sea for them. The, the true and living God never gave them manna from heaven. The, the true and living God never gave them water from a rock. But yet they believe his prophet and the message that his prophet delivers. Brothers and sisters, this is like a Jewish person walking in Nazi Germany, going up to Hitler and his army, Telling them that God is going to destroy Nazi Germany and the people from the least of them all the way up to Adolf Hitler turn and repent. See, that is a miraculous thing. And that is what happened with the Ninevites. How? 
It happened because of the power of God and the work of God's grace by his spirit. See, only the power of God can make the Ninevites who are known for violence, only the power of God who can make the Ninevites who are known for violence, guess what? Not chop off the head of Jonah when he comes with a message of judgment. Remember, the Ninevites, the thing that they're repenting of is the wickedness of their hand and the violence, meaning they are known for violence. But when Jonah comes to their city with a message that doesn't seem particularly good, that you're about to be overthrown, they do not chop off his head, but yet they respond with repentance. When most nations would chop off the head of that prophet, guess what? Even Israel, they would chop off the head of that prophet that came to them. That is why Jesus in the New Testament, he says in Matthew 23, uh, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. Why does he say that? Because when God would constantly send the people prophets, telling them to repent, calling them out on their sin, they would go and just kill that prophet. They would go and just stone that prophet. Even though they are the chosen people of God, when God would send his messenger, they would go and just kill the prophet. You can even go to the place like Jeremiah, if you've been reading through there. In Jeremiah 26, we see that because of his message of judgment coming on Judah, because of his message of judgment, there was a plot on his life. People had threatened to murder Jeremiah. Why? Because of his message of judgment. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a place in Jeremiah 26 where there's this prophet named Uriah. And he makes the same prophecy that Jeremiah makes. He tells Judah that God is going to judge him, judge Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow Jerusalem. He says the same prophecy that Jeremiah does. That word gets to the king. The king sends his men to go and get Uriah. Uriah finds out, guess what? Uriah flees all the way to Egypt. And guess what the king does? The king gets the CIA-like force and he sends men to Egypt just to go find Uriah to bring him back to kill him for his prophecy about judgment. Do you see? This is what Israel did. That's why it is an amazing thing that this word of God goes to a Gentile nation and yet they repent. Do you see the irony in that? The people of God who are supposed to be a light in this world, they are the ones stoning the, the prophets when they come with a message of judgment, calling them to repent from the Lord. But the people who are a heathen nation, who are known for violence, who are known for wickedness in their hand, they receive a prophet that is not of their race, that is not of their kinsmen, and they turn and repent. See, that is the miraculous thing of God. Do you see the miracle in the Ninevites? That was a miraculous thing. See, it, it took a work of grace and the spirit of God to help the Ninevites to receive God's messenger and God's message. And guess what? Likewise, it's going to take a work of God's grace to believe in Jesus and the gospel. It's the same thing outside of Jesus and the gospel. I mean, um, the world sees Jesus and the gospel and the natural man as foolishness. See, it's going to take the same miraculous work that we've seen in these Ninevites to the people that we share the gospel with. 
So that means that our, what we should be doing, my brothers and sisters, is praying on our knees that God goes before us by his spirit, that he prepares the heart of the people that we will speak to, because we know that there is no word that we can say within ourselves to bring about a change. It is only God's word and God's spirit that will change and cut to the heart. So we see this from Jonah, my brothers and sisters. Outside of the word of God and his spirit, when you share Jesus, when you share what God is doing, the world's going to think it's foolishness. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians. He says the Gentiles see Christ being crucified. That's, that's foolishness. They don't think nothing about it because the natural man does not understand the words of the spirit. See, the spirit of God has to be present, my brothers and sisters. Anytime we speak the oracles of God, the spirit of God has to be present. Our people will not receive the word. It don't matter how good you say it. It don't matter how much you know. The spirit of God and the word of God has to be present there for change to come about. The spirit of God has to go forward and open eyes and hearts to receive the truth of God's word. Just like it did with the Ninevites. And so we find throughout the scriptures verses like Acts 11 where the text says that God has granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life. Talking about when the Gentiles came to faith through by um, when Peter goes to Cornelius. That God had granted repentance. Meaning that if God doesn't grant it, it's not going to happen. They're not going to repent. They're not going to turn. Or verses like Acts 13.48. I'm sure we're all familiar with this. Where the text says, as many who have been appointed to eternal life believed, as many who have been appointed, ordained to eternal life, they are the ones who believe the message. See, that is a work of God's spirit. It's not us. It's a work of God's spirit bringing the change. You also have verses like Acts 16, 14 with Lydia. You remember when Paul is preaching there with Lydia? The word of God says that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. That has to happen in order for us to see conversion, my brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit has to go forward and open the hearts when you begin to speak and communicate. See, again, the power is not within us. It's not within our will, but it is God's will. It is God's work and it is his moving by the Holy Spirit. And if you recall from Jesus's interaction with Nicodemus, the spirit goes where it wishes. It goes how it leads. He moves how he chooses to move. So it's God's work. You also look at verse like 2 Timothy 2.25, where the scripture says that God may perhaps grant repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. Talking about the people who were spreading heresy and falsehoods. So again, repentance, seeing the glory of Christ, Seeing the word of God as beautiful, that is a work of the spirit of God. That is a work of God to make people go and see God's glory and want to change. And so through the preaching of Jonah and the power of God, the Ninevites heed that message. They fear the wrath of God. They turn from their wickedness and God relents of his calamity. Now, some of us will say that, okay, they've repented. God didn't bring on his calamity. He said he was going to do this. Doesn't that mean that, um, 
God changed? Doesn't that mean God changed? I, I thought that God doesn't change. He, he said that in 40 days, he's going to overthrow Nineveh, but they repent and turn from their sins. But And, and now God doesn't give the calamity and, 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 and judgment that he's going to do. Doesn't that mean that God changed? No, that doesn't mean that God changed. It means that this judgment seemed to be conditional. It means that God is not just into destroying people. It means that God is slow to anger and full of mercy and compassion. Jeremiah speaks to this as well. In, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 18.8, the Lord tells Jeremiah this when it comes to judgment. He says this. He says, if a nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. He says that I will relent of the calamity that I plan to bring on it. And we see that being fulfilled and carried out right here in Jonah. We see as repentance is granted. We see that their eyes are open. They turn from their sins that God relents of the calamity that he had planned to do. So now outside of these principles, we learn from Jeremiah, I mean, from Jonah concerning evangelism, especially when it comes to missionary there's something else we can learn from Jonah and the Ninevites. And that is that we should, or it is okay to have a healthy fear of the wrath of God. It is okay to shun hell. It is okay to have a fear of judgment. We see that is the thing that brought the Ninevites to repentance. It was the judgment and wrath of God. And that judgment and wrath of God brought about a, a change in these Ninevites. So we see that as believers, we want to have a healthy fear of judgment. We want to have a healthy fear of the wrath of God. We even see our Lord telling us this in, in Matthew 10, 28, where he says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It is okay to have my brothers and sisters a healthy, a healthy fear of the, the wrath of God. And so we see with Jonah, Jonah goes, he's obedient to the word of God. He goes forward. He carries the message exactly how God carries, says to carry the message. Jonah goes forward. The spirit of God goes there and we see that repentance and change is brought to the Ninevites. We see that the power of our evangelism, again, it's not in us. It is in the word of God. And it's in that word that we proclaim the truth, the gospel. It's that word that we speak. Not what they, not what we think will work. Not what we think that people want to hear. We see that it is whatever God says, we speak. Whatever God says, we proclaim. And by that, his spirit works and does the work and brings people unto repentance. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, help us to look to you and your word in all things. Not looking to ourselves, God. 
knowing that any change, any type of revival, any type of new life in our world, God, is going to come by you, your word and your spirit, not by our works, God. So, God, it is our prayer, God, as your missionaries, as your children, Lord, God, we want to go forward, God. We want to see souls change, God. We want to see revival, new life brought where we go, Lord. But we know that it is not by our human ingenuity, Father. It is only going to be by a work of your spirit and your word, God. So we ask, Father, that you prepare the hearts of the people, God, that you will have us to encounter today, tomorrow, as we go throughout our days at work, God. Prepare their hearts, God. Bring change, Lord God. Bring souls into your kingdom, God, we pray. We pray that your spirit moves, Lord God, as we go throughout our life here on this earth, God, that your spirit go and enlarges your kingdom, God. God, may your word continue to be powerful, bringing souls and hearts into your kingdom, just as you have brought us, God. May your word continue, God, to go forward and to cut to the heart, God, and to bring conviction that leads to repentance, God. Oh, God, it is your word we look to. It is your word we stand upon, God. It is your word that has the power, God. It is your word that we feast off, God. Your word is our life, God. It is our water to this thirsty and dry soul, God. Your word, Lord. God, I pray that the believers here in this house, Lord God, that you bring more revelation, more understanding of your word, God. That they may go forward, Lord God, to bring your truth, God. And that they may find more joy in life, God, as they see you through your scripture. Praise your name, Lord God. We thank you for your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.